Amen. And it reads, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if, it, if the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And it is. You boast in your arrogance. All of such boasting is evil. So whosoever knoweth the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Amen. You may have your seats. As Pastor Todd comes. Joshua just uh, made a mess up here. Just kidding. Uh, I want to first uh, say good morning and second say, Ebony, welcome to service. We're so glad you're here. Uh, Miss Ebony is here. That's uh, Joshua, Pastor Joshua's wife. She's here for the weekend. Uh, the hope is to transition mid-September, October, correct? So let's continue to pray uh, for them as they transition here and uh, just for their family. But we are glad that you're here with us this morning. And just as a way uh, to pray over us, uh, I was reading one of the things I do in the morning on Sunday mornings, uh, just to kind of pray and pray over us as a body that God would have something for us. And I came across this uh, prayer. I'm in this uh, book called The Prayers of the Puritans. If you know anything about the Puritans, they were godly men and women that, that sought the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength in a way that um, really began a radical shift in, in the life of America. It's the Puritans are kind of where the great awakening happened, where the, the, the favor of God and the spirit of God was poured out onto America. And this is what one of the, the writers, one of the Puritans prayed. And this is my prayer for us. And I want us to meditate on this for a moment before we get into God's holy word. Here's his prayer. The prayer is called the prayer of a wandering heart. And he says this, dear Lord of our people, let every evening toll the bell of recollection to call home my poor wandering heart. If we're truthful about ourselves, we all have that wandering heart, do we not? The wandering heart of anxiety, the wandering heart of what is to come the next day. And so this writer says, may we be reminded that I do have a wandering heart. And then he says this, when the tumult of busy, unsatisfying, tr the, this troublesome world is over, mean, meaning the day, not their life, the day is over, oh, for the grace to do as my Lord did. So he's asking that God would give him that same grace and desire that he gave to our Lord Jesus. What did Jesus do? He says this, to send the multitudes away. Now for us, the multitudes is that multitude of anxiety, the busyness of life. It may not be the people, but maybe all that stirs in our heart that makes us have a wandering heart. He says to send that away 
and to get up apart into that holy mountain of faith and love in the Lord Jesus and to meditate and to pray. And so now I pray for us for these next few quiet moments that we pray this prayer that God would send away those anxieties so that we'd be able to meditate on what God's word has for us this morning. So let us spend a few moments in meditation and then I'll pray for us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer silently to ask him to remove any distraction from our hearts. God, we do come to you with busy hearts and busy minds. If we're all honest, God, and I pray that we are, we all have those anxieties in our hearts that would distract us from your holy word. It's the very thing that Satan would use is those anxieties, the troubles of today and the troubles of tomorrow that would cause us not to be present with you and your word this morning. So through the Holy Spirit this morning, I pray that our hearts would be stilled, our hearts would be quiet, and our hearts would meditate on your holy word, your truth. So lead us, guide us, stir our affections for you. May we leave here this morning knowing what your good and pleasing will is for each of us, and for this church. We pray this in Christ's mighty name, and the people of God said, amen. Here we are, we're kind of rounding the turn as we come into these last few uh, weeks in the book of James. If you've been with us, James is this sweet little letter that wrote, that the, the, our Savior's brother James wrote to us to show us faith and works and how they hold hands together. That you have to have a faith, but your faith must be played out in how you live your day-to-day life. And now James is going to get into this place as he continues to speak to us about humility. This passage is about humility. That's what he's been walking through, really, for most of chapter 4. Chapter 4, we read the title in our Bibles, is a warning against worldliness, but the warning could be the the, the warning against pride. Now, here's what's true about all of us in this room. We all, to some degree, have some level of pride. Pride simply is this. I don't need God, and I am God. That's really what pride says. And now, James is going to take us to, even when it comes to the will of God, we have pride. And I want to walk us through this morning, what is the will of God for each of us, and how do we threefold kind of turn our backs towards God. This is true about all of us in this room. You are one of these three people that James is going to address. If you have a pen, I want you to write these four questions down as you meditate and listen to God's holy word. The first question is this. Do I truly believe in God's will for my life? Do I believe in God's will for my life?
Now God's word is going to step on your toes. This is not me. I'm not stepping on your toes. This is God's word stepping on your toes. Do I trust God's will for my life? Do I believe God's word and do I trust God's will and do I trust God's will? Two more questions. Do I out plan God's will for my life? And the last question is this. Does my life point me, not others, to me believing and trusting in God's will? If you were to look at your life, would you say what I say, my life, shows that I believe and trust in God's will for my life. And now as a way to set us up for the text, we're going to see four things in this text. We're going to see three ways that we don't trust in God's will. Three ways, and you're one of those three places. You have to be honest with yourself, and maybe at times it's all three. The first one is this, verses 13 through 14. Do you disregard God's will? The second is this, do you deny God's will? That's verse 16. 13 and 14. Is do I disregard God's will? I'm going to skip to I'm going to skip 15 for a moment. I'm going to come back at the very end as a way of application to talk about verse 15. But verse 16 is do I deny God's will? And the last one, verse 17, is do I actively disobey God's will? So do I disregard God's will? Do I deny God's will? Do I disobey God's will? And the last one is this. This is my prayer for all of us in this room. Verse 15. Do I delight in God's will? Now let's jump into the text this morning. James comes out the gates swinging. He uses these two words. He says, come now. That, that, that word means, hey, listen up. If you've ever been on a football field and the coach is trying to grab your attention, they, they holler at you. That's what James is doing. He's coming out of the gates. He's hollering at us, so to speak. He's saying, listen up. Come on now. So he's drawing their attention to this place of God's will. I wonder how many of us want to do God's will, but when God's will is revealed to us, we run from God's will. You see, if you're a believer here this morning, and you spend any time in God's word, God's word is going to reveal God's will. I'll say that one more time. God's word always reveals God's will. You, you cannot be ignorant to God's will if you, are, ign if you uh, are in God's word, if you ignore God's word, you'll be ignorant to God's will. 
See, this book is not just a book that God gave to us so that we could check something off the list. This book of 66 books were given to us by God to reveal to us God's will. I'll say this, because this is what Paul said in the book of Timothy. Do you want to know what God's will is for your life? It's super simple. It's not easy, but it's super simple. I've said it before from this pulpit, I'll say it again. God's will for your life is one thing and one thing alone. He says it's God's will is for your sanctification. If you are a believer here this morning, it's so that God's word would reveal to you all the places in your life that are not like him. If you're an unbeliever this morning, God's will is that you would be justified so that you can be sanctified. But now James says this to us. He's speaking to the believer. He's not speaking to the unbeliever. Know that. So if you're sitting in your pew and you're like, man, I'm glad this is for that dude that does not know Jesus. No, James is saying, hey, listen up, you Christian, to pay attention to God's will. He says this, you often disregard God's will, and this is how you disregard God's will. Five things he says. He says, now come, now you, the believer, who say this. What do we, the believer, often say? Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. James says there's five places in your life and in my life that we disregard God's will. Now, what at first glance, what James is not saying is this. We ought not to prepare for the future. But that's not what James is saying. He's saying, how do we prepare for the future? It would be unwise for us as believers not to prepare for the future. Just how often in our lives do we prepare for the future and do it with disregard to God's will? So I'd ask this question to you. In your day-to-day life, how often are you praying for God's will to be done even in the small things? I think we... Pray for God's will in the big things. Who should I marry? Who should I date? What job should I take? But then there's the small places in the details that we leave God out. So in practicality, we are disregarding the will of God in the minutia. And this is what James says. He says, let's take in consideration five places that you disregard God and his will. Those five places are first and foremost, today or tomorrow, we often disregard God with our time. Now, how's how this looks practically? How many of us, even today, prayed where we ought to go to lunch and who to go to lunch with? We just woke up and thought, man, I did it. My first thought was, I need to ask Tennis and Cedar where we ought to go to lunch. Because I thought, if I ask them, then life won't be so chaotic at 12. Am I the only one? 
But even in the minutiae, God is saying, seek me and my will because I'm in control of all of it, even where you go to lunch. So he says to us first, how often do we disregard God today and tomorrow? Because so often for us, today or tomorrow, it doesn't hold the big question. Maybe tomorrow for you might hold a big question. But for most of us in the room, there's no blaring thing that we ought to seek God's will for. The second thing is this. So it's our time. He then says this. How about where we disregard God in our location? We say we ought to go here or to there or this place or that place. And I just say this as a way of confession. How often in my life have I not prayed to God, even in the details of where he would have me go next in my life? Like, I want God's will, but how often do I want my will, my desire first? Even location. Even where I ought to live and interact. The next thing, not just time, not just location, but duration. How long, God, ought I stay in this one place? The next is business. He says the word trade. What is God's will for how you do your job or what job you even do? I'll say this as a way of gratitude, um, a conviction. You know, one of the things that we had prayed for for a long time in a youth pastor was that that youth pastor would come and do God's will. Talking with Joshua over this length of time when we first met him to now, his desire was to do God's will even when it came to business. That man put over, I think, over 100 resumes out. He was unwilling to settle until God opened the door for him exactly where God would have for him. How many of us in our anxiety would have just jumped at the first job? And the last one he says is this. I'll say it in American terms. Is our profit margin. He says it. He says what we'll do, our trade, and what profit we'll make. How many of us take jobs because of dollar signs? Let me say that again. This is God's word. I'm not stepping on your toes. God is stepping on your toes. How many of us make decisions based on the amount of dollar that's going to come to us? And then because of that, we make unethical decisions based on a dollar amount. Because we don't trust in God's will that God will provide for us exactly what we need, when we need it. And so we disregard God's will for us. And now James says, here is the reason that you disregard God's will. Because you do not take these two things into consideration. Verse 14. 
He said, you want to know why you disregard God's will? It's because of these two things. For you do not know what tomorrow will bring. The first thing he says you disregard God's will is because you are clueless about the future, though you think you have a clue about the future. That's what he says. That's what the text says to us. You disregard God because you think you know what tomorrow holds. So because you think you know what tomorrow holds, you're going to make decisions based on what tomorrow holds, which says you don't truly believe that God is sovereign and in control of all things. Because there is no promise for any of us that we will not get in our car and get smashed by a semi today. We do not know what tomorrow holds. And yet in our disregard of God's will, we are practically saying to God and to others, I know what tomorrow holds. If you know what tomorrow holds, please, next time the lottery gets to a billion dollars, take out one, just go put all of your money there, take out that thing, and then give 10% back to the church. We'll be set up. But we live as though we are men and women that hold the crystal ball to eternity and to the future. And there's no promise of tomorrow. There's no promise of this afternoon. That is God's agenda, not ours. He says this, not only do you not know what tomorrow holds, you forget how short life is. He says that in the text. What is your life? Question mark. And then he answers his very question. For your life, you are but a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's where this comes into play. This is what James says your life and my life look like. This is how long it is. That's the text. He says your life is a mist. You see it and it's gone. But how often do we think our life is not a mist? but just a stream of water that just keeps on going and going and going. And so we play out our lives as though we have 10 years from now, 20 years from now. But God's promise and God's word is your life is but a mist. Even if you live out 100 years, it's a mist in comparison to all of eternity. And so in our anxiety, because we think our life is so long and yet internally we know it's so short we hold on to things do you not know do i not know that my life is but a mist here's what the writer of psalms says my days are like an evening shadow and i wither away like grass that fast And yet there's something in us that wants to hold on and disregard God's will because we know it's best for ourselves. One writer says this about this group of people. He says this, this group of people are practical atheists. Meaning they would say they're believers. But their lives live out Practically, as atheists, they do not practice or believe in the will of God and who God is. 
that's what it looks like to disregard God's will. Your mouth can say something that you believe, but your life does not match what you believe. That's what James is telling us throughout this book. Your faith and your actions, they have to go hand in hand. If you say you have a faith and yet your works don't match what you say you believe, you have no faith at all. You disregard the will of God. And then he says this. He says, maybe you're not that. Maybe that's not who you are. Skip verse 15. I'm going to come back to 15. He says this in verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. He says this. You may not disregard God's will. It's worse. You deny God's will. Denying God's will is this. You know God's will and simply do not do it. So you deny what you see to be true. He says it this way. This is how you do it. There's two practical ways that you deny the will of God in your life. He says you boast in your arrogance. What does he mean by those two words? The word boast in the Greek means this. To speak loudly or to scream at the top of your lungs. You're boasting about something. You have all this pride in you that's coming out. And what is the thing that you're boasting about? He says you boast in your arrogance. What is arrogance? Arrogance in the Greek means this. It means wandering around with empty promises. It's what we, you and I would do when we get those calls on the telephone where you're like, um, delete. You know those calls, the, the, the scam calls? Hey, we got this much for you. You come to us, we'll give you all this money. You know, you know those scams. That is what James is talking about. You have this promise, but there's no delivery behind the promise. And so we go around boasting about what we're arrogant in. Here's what's true about how we deny God's will in our life. How many of us arrogantly say, I am capable of doing this. I'm the one that makes all this money. I'm the one that gets up in the morning. I'm the one that can do these things that makes money. And we put all the emphasis on who? Me. There is only one reason you got up out of the bed this morning. It's not because your alarm went off. It's not because your kids came up in your bed. It's not because somebody was nagging you. It's because God, in his goodness, kindness to you, gave you breath to breathe another breath, to get your feet, to give you the brain and the muscles to put your feet down on the floor to rise. Without that, you would not be here this morning. You're not here this morning because you have great mu muscle structure. You're here because of the sovereignty of God is watching over you and giving you another day. Here's how we know that. Millions of people around the world in this very moment are dying. That's not because they're sick. That's not because God doesn't love them. That's because that is God's will because God has numbered their days. And when your days are done numbered, God will take you. But in our arrogance, 
We deny that God is in control of all things. And we say to ourselves, I'm the one that did this. Like, I'm the one that has a fat bacon account because of how hard I work. Well, who gave you the brain even to have the knowledge to go do what you did? God. You're not smart because you read a book. You're smart because God opened your mind to receive knowledge that comes from him and him alone. But in our arrogance, we really have this pride that says, I do it all. James continues to hammer home the lack of humility. And what happens when we have a lack of humility? We think we're God. Now he moves on to the last one, which I think is the blow to all of us, if we're honest. We may not always disregard God's will. We may not always deny God's will. But here's the truth. We all always disobey God's will. And this is what he says in verse 17. So whoever knows what is the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. How many of us make conscious decisions to disobey God's will? Uh, Man, only four of us? Wow. Wow. Let me know how y'all did it. But that's what he's saying to us. Most of us, if we're honest, and we need to be honest, we daily disobey God's will for us. We go contrary to what God is saying to us to do. What James is saying in this whole passage is there's two types of sin. There's the sin of omission, that's not doing what we know to do, and there's sin of commission, that's committing sins that we know we ought not to do. And James is saying here, you and I go actively against God's holy word. Are we honest, though, about our active disobedience to God? And yet James now says, if there's this active disobedience, let me tell you what it's called. Sin. It's not called a mistake. It's called sin. Sin is our separation from a holy God and from other people. You know what to do, and you actively choose not to do it. That can look a hundred different ways. Are we actively disobeying God's will for our life by giving what God has given to us back to God? That's called tithe and offering. All of us in this room know, if you're a believer, we are to give back what God has so graciously given to us. And so if we're actively not doing that, that's called a sin. If I'm actively not loving my wife, that's called a sin. If I'm actively not uh, uh, honoring my children, that's a sin. And on and on I can go. If I'm actively not being submissive to my boss, that is a sin. If I'm actively not being kind to other people, that is a sin. Now the hope is, through the Holy Spirit, even in this moment, God is pricking your heart how you and I actively disobey God. But now let's go back to 15. Those are the ways that we disregard God's will, deny God's will, disobey God's will. But there's this sweet little promise. In verse 15, don't miss the promise. 
he says this, but instead we ought to, to say. We ought to say shows this place of submission to God's will. That's what those words mean. We ought to say. And ought to say is I'm going to be submissive to God's will. And he says this. Instead, we ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live. And we will do this or do that. My question to you and to me this morning is this. Do I delight in doing God's will? Is everything that I say come to that place that James says? If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this. How do I know what God's will is? We delight in God's word. When we delight in God's word, we just flow into God's will. The psalmist says this, God will give you the desires of your heart. But you know what the words are right before that passage? If we delight ourselves in the Lord, then God gives us the desires of, who has desires of their heart here this morning? But how often is it my desires drive me places to make sure they're accomplished without the delight in the Lord? You see, we all want our desires of the heart. But how many of us don't delight ourselves in God's will? And so I want to leave us with this this morning. Then what is God's will? I said it's for your sanctification. I'm going to break those down into five things this morning. God's will are these five things. We know this from 1 Peter. God's desire or God's will is that none would perish. So God's will is that every mankind would be saved. That's the first of God's will. We see that most boldly in the cross. God sent his son to die. That was God's will, that no man would perish. The second is this, that when you become saved, there's a promise of God's will that will happen to you. You will be filled with the Spirit of God. If you're a believer, God's Holy Spirit resides in you this morning. That is God's will. The next thing I said this at the beginning, God's will is that you would to be sanctified. That means that you would be holy as he is holy. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? The next is this. God's will for your life is to live a life of submission to him. Now the last one, none of us want to hear, but it is God's will for your life. He says to us, any of us that want to be saved and are saved, then there's this thing that happens to us. If you're walking with the Lord, God's will for your life is suffering. Suffering produces sanctification. Now here's how I know this practically 
And here's how I know this to be true here at Powell's Chapel. I said this Wednesday, I'll say it again. This year, in the, in the life of me being here over seven years, has been a life of suffering. There's been so many needs that have risen out of this church. We've had so much persecution in this church. But what we can say for sure is that in our suffering, God is being delighted. I just want you to look around the room for a moment. It took a lot of suffering. But in suffering, God did what only he could do. That's bring sanctification and begin to work his spirit in us in such a way that many, many people are coming to know him, are falling more in love with him, and people are leaving here and inviting other people. That all came through a year of suffering. I look back at my own life. The years of suffering have been extremely difficult. But man, the way I see God and how God worked out that suffering. Without that suffering, I wouldn't know the will of God. There's been great pain, but with great pain comes great blessing. How many of us want the blessing without the suffering? That's just not God's economy. And so because we think God just wants to bless us, he doesn't want us to have to suffer. He doesn't want to have to, we don't want to have to go through submission and sanctification and being spirit-filled and saved. Then that's how we live out our lives, that we will, those three things, we will disregard God's will because we want God's promises, not God's will. We will then move to a place of denying God's will because we want God's blessing, not God's will. And we'll disobey God because obeying God is often really difficult. But God wants to do something in us and through us. And then this is what happens when we begin to live out God's will. And this is how we are to live in God's will. The first three things of application, then I'll close. The first place is this. Are you asking God to direct all of your footsteps? All of your decision-making, does it go through prayer first and foremost? Because here's what happens when we begin to ask God to, to direct our steps. Then we have to come to a place of confession to God of our neediness to him. That his will be done, not my will be done. Is that not what Jesus showed us in the cross, in the garden? Remember what Jesus said. He's praying to God and he's asking God, God, this is your will for me to go to the cross. But I'm confessing, I don't really want to do it. Now, it's not that black and white in the text, but that's exactly what he says. Not my will be done, but yours. But if you can take this cup from me, please take this cup from me because I really don't want to do it. Therefore, he's confessing his neediness to God that God would give him the strength to go to the cross because in and of himself, Jesus alone didn't have the strength to go to the cross. But when we come to a place of asking God to direct ourselves, we come to a place of confession that God will accomplish his 
plans and his goals for our life, then when they're accomplished, we will give all praise to who? Him, not ourselves. So any blessing that comes to your life isn't because you pulled yourself up by the bootstraps and went out and got it. It's because God poured out his blessing on your life and in my life. Then we turn to him and give him all the praise, honor, and glory. Because we are not in control. He is in control of all things. So I'd ask you this morning in closing, would you join me to continue to ask that God would direct all of our steps? That we confess our need to him to accomplish his plans for my life. And we would live a life of praise when those plans have been accomplished according to his will and not my own. Let us pray.